Hey, this is Jordan welcoming you to On Mic with Jordan Rich, conversations with creative people from the world of media, theater, literature, science, film, and more. All of my guests sharing what drives them, their passions, their unique stories that so many of us can relate to. Now, if you'd like to connect with me and the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The email address, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, at chartproductions.com. Facebook, you can find us at Jordan Rich Show. And my Twitter account, which I'm just getting back into, is at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N-W-B-Z, where I still hang out when I'm not doing this podcast. So get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Today's guest is Jennifer Vaughn, an award-winning television reporter and anchor with WMUR-TV in New Hampshire. She's covered all kinds of stories, including the very important New Hampshire primary. She's been doing that for years. She's also a writer of some note, having penned her first novel back in 2016 called Last Flight Out, followed up by one called Throwaway Girls, then Echo Valley and Legacy Girls. And we'll focus on her very latest novel called Shadow Kid, based on a true story, a fascinating story indeed. Her website, jvwrites.com. Jennifer is a dynamo, hardworking lady who also puts family at the very top of her list, which I love. And we're delighted to welcome her. So let's go on mic. You're a lady who wears many hats, very creative hats indeed. It's great to welcome you, Jennifer. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, because we're podcasting from Boston and New England, you are definitely a New England homegrown talent and you're still very successful in New England. I'm I'm grateful to have stayed in, in New England because it's always felt like home. I grew up in Middleborough. I used to describe it as halfway between Boston and the Cape. That's right. Which it's, I think is applicable, it is. right? <laughs> it hasn't gone anywhere. No, no. And then I uh, moved into New Hampshire to work at WMUR-TV, and I've been there for 22 years. Happy as a clam. And that is a very well-respected uh, TV station. And, of course, uh, every four years you swing into action a, a bit more seriously because of the presidential thing. We'll talk about that as we go along. For sure. I would say it even even starts every two and a half years yeah, at yeah. this point. It there, seems like an ongoing campaign all the time. It, it's almost like there's a political candidate in the state at any given moment. Well, let's actually start with that, then we'll get to the books. Sure. Uh, as we tape this podcast, we're in 2019, obviously. 2020, we all know, is looming. What's it like on a day-to-day basis as the election draws closer, as the primaries start to come closer. What's it like for you? Well, the intensity obviously starts to pick up um, and and it starts to pick up well before you would even imagine it could. Um, We're talking two years out. We start to have candidates visit, um, set their agendas, set their visitation dates, uh, make some early visits, set their teams in New Hampshire. So we're used to that starting early now. And, you know, I've been there for I think this would be my fourth cycle. (laughs) which is crazy in a way. But as it's evolved, um, we have had to sort of move into this almost fast tracked political realm in which, you know, we're we're always anticipating the earlier um, each cycle comes, Mm. you know, so we can expect candidates, like I said, probably every two years to really start sniffing around. I don't think that we've had uh, this phenomenon of 20, 25 candidates. It was the Republicans last time at the Democrats as we speak now. I mean, it's got to put an even greater burden on news coverage because you really have to kind of pick and choose who you're going to cover because there's just so many. Oftentimes there are four or five in the state at any given time. Um, and our, our political director will 
roam as best he can. Our general assignment reporters cover candidates. It will be interesting, you know, just just try to figure from a technical standpoint, when we do primary election night, election night in New Hampshire, we try to have a live presence at every campaign headquarters and with 24 some odd candidates. Mm. I mean, imagine how that is going to work. So um, this is a unique cycle. It's very busy. Um, and the intensity will only grow the closer that we get. It will be a very busy summer. So looking back, you are lucky enough, if you can use that term, to meet people who are perhaps headed to the White House face to face. We could spend days talking about your experiences, but who or what comes to mind when I say, give me a story about an individual candidate? Oh, gosh, there are you so must many. have so many. There are so many. And this goes back to um, even... You know, in the 2000 cycle, I remember uh, then Governor George W. Bush coming through and I was very pregnant with my son at the time and um, stopped and said, hey, you got a you got a ballerina in there or a football kicker? <laughs> and, you know, just something very lighthearted, which yeah. was typical of him. Um, I had gone to visit his mom and dad, the, the former president and Barbara Bush in Houston. And uh, the next time he came to visit after I had been to Houston and back, I said, you'll never guess who I spent some time with. And I took out a picture and he's like, oh, my mom. I remember that. We're just standing around a table in the middle of the newsroom and we're, we're the, chatting about his parents. Politics aside, we don't have to get into any of that, but certain individuals have that. Yes. Realness to them. I've always heard that about the Bush family and certainly his father and mother, but I've heard that about him too. And then there are people, not even politicians alone, who are looking right over your shoulder at the next person. They're not right there with you. And we can tell the difference. (laughs) You can certainly tell the difference. We can. Did you have an opportunity uh, on that score to ever interview Bill Clinton? Because they say he's the one who captivates the, the person across from him. It's interesting you say that. Um, when I was an intern at a radio station in Providence, Rhode Island, um, just freshly out of college and trying to make my way, I was dispatched to his arrival. He was uh, coming into Rhode Island for an event of some sort, and I was dispatched to meet him at the staging area where the media would set up. It was my very first go at it. So uh, to begin with, I was nervous about finding the location where I needed to be. Once I arrived, I was nervous about the equipment working. So once I made sure that was working, I stand in the line. And as you know, it's just a gaggle of reporters from local media, national media. And I happen to be next to Andrea Mitchell of NBC News. And um, as as the president was making his way sort of through the crowd, doesn't typically stop at every reporter. You're, you're lucky if you have a moment with him. And I had a moment with him. Um, he stopped at, at me for whatever reason and answered a couple questions about Rhode Island and his visit. And that's what I remember about President Clinton. Interesting, too, when you look at New Hampshire, and I'm old enough to remember when the Manchester Union leader would almost decide editorially who the candidate they wanted, and that would be it. So much has changed and evolved, even in your time at WMUR, in terms of social media, other news, competitive sources, fake and real news, et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, it's it's been an amazing technological change. Technology has cultural. altered the power structure, yeah. I believe. Um, and I see that because everybody can be a journalist. Anybody who shows up with a phone and, um, you know, can take some video of a campaign event, can then post it across multiple platforms, um, get attention from the media and elsewhere and make headway, make mm. a story. Uh, and that's both, you know, it, it assists in the coverage of media because it forces us to step up and um, be more 
sort of take a broader look at how we cover news, knowing that we now have competition from not just other news sources, but really individuals in the public mm. who can come in and, you know, post something that happens to catch the attention. And before you know it, it's the story. It's gone viral. And that might have nothing to do with having the true media there that day. What would you say, Jennifer, is the biggest misconception about what an anchor does? People think Ron Burgundy, unfortunately, (laughs) and the plasticity of it. But I know because I work in the industry what's involved. How do you answer that question? I think our goal is to become that familiar face with our audience that trusted face, um, that trusted voice, so that when the news is presented every night, whether it's it's a really awful story that happened in somebody's backyard, whether it affects somebody um, that they know, or whether it's a story from a part of the state they've never been to, they come to us because we've proven ourselves to be there to represent the true nature of the news and kind of a what you see, what you get type of uh, vibe that we like to pass on. Mm-hmm. We we have a unique sort of gift, I would say, in this realm of fake news that, you know, local TV, I think, can escape some of that because we stay local, our roots are local, our stories are local. And in that respect, there's no room for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a, in a half hour context of News 9 at 6, which is what I do, There's no editorialization of a story. We present the facts. The reporter is at the scene. We've spoken to people who witnessed what happened. So I really hold tight to that because I think that that makes a difference. If people have a choice of where they're going to tune in um, and who they're listening to, you're going to get it from somebody that you've been watching for two decades and somebody that you trust. And, um, you know, it's never my opinion. I don't control the ending. Boy, is that refreshing for not just me, because I know that you're coming from a place of journalistic integrity. But it's nice to know that uh, and, and WMUR has a longstanding reputation as a as a really potent news source that you can trust. And that's so important. It's all about trust. Yeah. It really the relationships is. in the community. Really. People know us. Noteworthy stories come your way every day. So as an author, as a novelist, perfect jumping off point. The, the tricky thing is, where do you find time to write these deep and explosive and interesting novels when you've got this gig? Sort of a, a time management thing. I write in the morning because I'm home in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you divide the day into sort of quadrants, you know? Okay. Okay, from here to here, I'm I'm in my kitchen on my bar stool writing my novel, working on my current book. From this to this, I'm getting ready for work. From this to this, I'm at work. And I'm sort of in a zombie-like state by the time I return home, so there's never any writing that goes on at night. <laughs> well, in a way, it's it's kind of like a television or radio format clock. Sort of. You work your life that way. And there is some structure and semblance to uh, that makes sense if you do it that way. So let's talk about the progression of works. We'll get to the new one, which is called Shadow Kid. Yes. Uh, will be released. We'll get to that in a minute. But talk about the first book. Where did that... Uh, come from that idea? So the first book, Last Flight Out, um, came out in 2011, I believe. And so as a lifelong lover of books and stories and having gleaned some information from my television job along the way, I decided I just wanted to try. And I think when aspiring authors ask me, oh, it's just, it seems so daunting. I don't even know how to really get into it. And I simply tell them, just start, just start. 
I mean, you don't know what you're going to have unless you start it. Mm. So that's exactly what I did. I, I put together sort of a rough draft of what I wanted the story to look like. Um, once it was completed, I wanted it to have a purpose. So I, I plan to donate the proceeds to cancer charities in the state because that's something that affects me personally. Yeah. It's important to me. I wanted it to have an impact. And that was it. And just put it out there. Does it help to be Jennifer Vaughn, at least in the local area? That Sometimes. It gives you some cachet with certain people. But then again, you have to prove your, your mettle as a novelist. People are very particular when they read. I know I am, and I know most of your readers are. And one is one, but then you got to follow up with two, three, four, and you gotta, you got to keep hitting home runs. You, ho- you hope to. Yeah. Yes, you hope to. And um, what, I, what I write is what I like to read. And that comes complete with some choice words, some colorful terms, um, because that's what I hear in the real world. You know, that's what I hear in a newsroom, for instance. Um, That's what I hear on the street. That's how people talk. So I try to reflect real life. It might be an interesting or tiny or unique or crazy or bizarre aspect of real life, but I try to embellish that. I've had the great pleasure of meeting so many people in the news and media business who have become novelists. I do think, if they're good writers, and you are, that there's a certain level of authenticity authenticity that you can bring to the novel. One of them involves a, a serial killer. Is that the first one? That's so this is Throwaway Girls. Throwaway right? Girls. So, Throwaway Girls. Yeah, that one's that one's raw, dark, um, involving a, a television news reporter following the trail of a serial killer in Los Angeles. And the follow-up is called Legacy Girls. Legacy with, Girls. With the same, same heroine, character. heroine character. Yep. So that brings her home to New Hampshire. And she's investigating a teenage cousin who's gone missing from a very prestigious boarding school. So being in New Hampshire, it's right what you know. Loved it. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, before we get to Shadow Kid, which is getting a lot of attention, Echo Valley, I'm going to read the subtitle, A Power Hungry Politician is Burning Secret and the Unyielding Young Mother Caught in the Middle. Hmm. Politicians? Secrets? <laughs> I know a New thing Hampshire? or two about that. <laughs> you might know a thing or two about that. Tell us a little bit about that, Jennifer. So in, in Echo Valley, um, you know, t- when you when you sort of take a, a, a broad look at the presidential cycle, you know, you kind of drill down a little bit and you look at these campaigns and their primary focus is the candidate. And the candidate isn't always a perfect person. Most of the time is not. So when you start mixing that into the people who have daily contact with them or accidental contact with them, you mix in a single mother hairdresser who's just trying to get by in the world. Mm. But she happens to get hired to fix the presidential candidate's hair and get his family ready for a big photo shoot that happens at a New New Hampshire apple orchard. Now, that is true. That happens all the time. When these candidates come into New Hampshire, they want sort of an authentic look at their time on the campaign trail in the Granite State. There are apple orchards. It's a beautiful place to be. Um, You might go to a barn. You might have your picture taken with your family and circulate that among your campaign and and your your potential supporters. So imagine what would happen if she's there attending to this candidate, notices something a little shady about him, and then stumbles into something that she wishes she never saw. Already gets me excited because I love the ordinary person stumbling into something that is extraordinary, and then you got to work your way through that. We'll be right back with today's guest in a moment. This podcast is produced at Chart Productions with technical assistance from Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media. Now, if you're interested in developing your own podcast, whether for business or fun, please get in touch. We're now actively producing a whole bunch of great shows. And with our decades of broadcast experience, we can help you every step of the way produce and push up to the cloud a podcast you can be proud of. Visit chartproductions.com, C-H-A-R-T productions.com, and get in touch if we can be of help. Now, back to today's episode. 
And now we come to Shadow Kid, your latest. And I read some of the galleys on this. And this is a totally different deal because you're dealing with an individual, a young kid growing up in some rather challenging times. And it's based on a true story, right? Correct. My first go around with something based on a real life story. All right. So so give us, without giving any of the plot points away, how did you meet this young man and who is he? He's an older gentleman now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we made social media contact at first. I was probably posting something about my latest book, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, and he reached out. We had mutual friends. Um, I think it was having known me on TV and saying, I have a pretty extraordinary life story that I've never told anyone before. And I'm wondering if you might be interested in writing it. So, of course, I was. We had about a three-hour meeting one night in which he came to my home. Um, he brought proof because this this story demands proof, at least from my standpoint. Um, so once I began to trust that what he was telling me was authentic and real, I could not resist this story. It is the most extraordinary life I could ever ever have imagined. And then I probably couldn't have imagined it myself. It is almost, you know, I've compared it in a way to a darker Forrest Gump. You have a person who has been carried on the waves of fate. And that is to the highest of highs and the absolute lowest Mm. of lows that most people would have been lost in. And it does bring him to New Hampshire. It does. It it brings him to New Hampshire through a family tragedy. Mm -hmm. We meet him as a little boy um, in in a lovely home within a large, loving family. Um, There's sort of a back-to-back double tragedy that happens that forces his family to set new roots. And they arrive in New Hampshire, unknown very first time any of them have ever been there, making their new way. And he's just a little boy. And imagine, you know, coming from a place in which you have complete comfort, love, support, um, you feel safe, and you arrive as a little boy in a new state, in a new classroom, and right away, everything that worked for you in your former state is crumbling around you in this one. And he's got to figure out, okay, how do I how do I make a stand? How do I fight back? And who am I going to be? It involves a shadowy group of juvenile yes. delinquents. I'm using that old term, but it's <laughs> appropriate. It involves crime. It involves restitution, I guess. You say he's an older gentleman now. How now old, he is. How old is he now? He's in his mid-60s. So this is a lifelong story. And isn't it kind of cool that he sought you out to tell it? I am beyond honored. Um, he's grown to be a cherished friend. Mm-hmm. We speak all the time. Um, that's obviously not his real name right. that we use in the book, and he prefers to remain anonymous throughout this process, mm-hmm. which I completely respect because there are things that come out um, that, frankly, you know, have to do with with government liaisons and um, very shadowy operations that he was once involved with, and some questionable characters that he became involved with. He is not an innocent. So he's the first one to say he is a good soul, but he has walked some dark streets, in other words. And he's the first one to say he's a prankster. He's a funny guy. Mm. He's a comedian. He was, you know, he was a biker for a while. Mm -hmm. So he's not completely clean. Sounds like Steven Spielberg might want to grab hold of something like that. Wouldn't wouldn't we enjoy that? <laughs> a character study. Uh, and I think in, in terms of the writing that works for most readers, you want people who have shades. You don't want necessarily the Avengers. You, you, there is a place for that. But in this case, we're talking about 
people we can identify with because they have fault. The dark and the light. The dark and the light. Yeah. So this is your fifth? That will be my fifth. Your like, fifth yes, book. Yes. Which makes you, the word prolific, it, in my opinion, you write one, you're prolific. But mm. for people, seriously, it, it's one thing to write one and then it's to follow up with two or three more. But this is number five and no stopping at this point. No. Um, in, in fact, I have finished my next book, which I hope will have a 2020 release. Um, and that's <clears throat> the true life story of a former child actor. And why that would resonate with us here in New England is he was the little boy in the scandalous blockbuster Peyton Place. Ah. Back in the day. So that's what he's probably most known as, have you, is that little boy, Joey Cross. Have you connected with Paul Peterson in your research? <laughs> no. All right. I would advise you to look, seek him out. He was on uh, the Donna Reed show, I think. And- yes. So was my child actor. Okay. Yes. Well, Paul Peterson has an organization where he works with child actors because he was one of those child actors that had a lot of problems. Right. It, it's fascinating. I've I've done- He's mentioned him to me. He has. They, yeah. they were, they used to ride bikes together yeah. on the set. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. So it's cool to be doing the news, I guess, which is the real news. And then you're using real stories, but you're able to embellish a little bit with entertaining. Right. So they're narrative nonfictions, which narrative. are which are basically, they. it's a story. You read it as a story. So it's not just a list of facts and happenings. Right. It's, it's the right. story of how they felt at that time and what the air smelled like, uh, what the sky looked like, where they were, what that felt mm. like. It's all, you know, you're engrossed in the, the, the trappings of the setting, not just the facts of it. The fact that you're a visual person in your career, you're on camera, does that help you in writing scenes, the visual scenes, the the sensation that's going on? Is that a, Tremendously. You find a, an asset? I think that's that's part of being, you know, that kind of creative, you know, and then I think the I think the brain is it's it's magical in many ways, but what I love about my brain in particular is that I see things. It's not just words to me. I see images and I've always thought in images. Mm. Now, when I have to do math, that's when I don't like my brain <laughs> because <laughs> that's where the lines just I'm with seem you. to cross. I'm with you. Um, but I have always thought visually. Mm. And when I was a kid reading and all through my teens and you know my life as I've read, I don't just read the book. I see it. So mm. you know these these characters become known to me. I can see them. I can feel them. You can smell where you are. So that's how I like to write because that's how it enticed me as a reader. So that's mm-hmm. how you hope to engage the people who've, you know, put their time into your book. You right. want to reward them with what the scene actually smelled like, looked like, felt like. Now, obviously, people can do what everyone does these days and look at the Amazon sites and find you. But you have a website. Why don't you tell us what yep. it is? So you can find it at uh, www.jvwrites.com. JV for Jennifer Vaughn. Yes. And then writes writes. for, I like to write. You like to write. (laughs) By the way, before we close, uh, we shared... We shared a little uh, a war story or two about your early days. You're a lot younger than I am, but your early days were similar to mine. You were working in radio, double shifts, waitressing on the weekends. This is going to be an obvious statement. You love this stuff, I don't do. you? I do. You're grinding. You know, you're grinding in your 20s to try to make a name for yourself and get to the next level. And um, my dream was always to break into television, which I did when I was about 25. I landed up here. There were really great opportunities that came my way, and they were, I call them near misses, you know, big potential near misses that never really closed, could never quite close the deal. And I look back at that now as a gift because I could stay in New Hampshire for this time. Um, I love the state. I could be a mom. 
I could be around for them. These are choices that yes. you've made, and and people sometimes get the wrong impression. Well, why isn't she at ABC News? Why isn't she network? I'm sure you had opportunities to go that route. I had opportunities to leave the market, but I wanted the same thing you did. Yeah. I wanted family. And quite frankly, there's something really neat about being in one place in terms of your connection with your audience. So true. Yeah. So true. And, and honestly, it's the best place for me to be. Um, I don't work with colleagues. I work with friends. You know, they become your second family and the experiences that you have together, sometimes the, you know, the breaking news moments that you'll never forget, the great stories that we've covered, the awful ones that we kind of got through it together. Um, All of those things have made it really clear to me that this isn't I settled for staying in New Hampshire for 20 plus years. It's I chose to stay in New Hampshire for all this time because and I'm I love going to, it there. I'm going to bet that if you asked 99.9% of your viewers, they would say, oh yeah, we know that. We know that she chose to be. That's why we watch her. Right. And that's why we respect. I've, I've always felt the same way. There's a connection there and it's mutual respect between you and the audience. You hope so. You work hard to build that. Absolutely. Well, you've worked hard to do that and to publish all these great novels. The newest one, as we uh, send this podcast up, is called Shadow Kid. There are several others. Go to jvwrites.com. And I'm just thrilled to meet you and share with uh, our audience a bit about your story. Thank you. It's a pleasure being with you today. My thanks again to Jennifer Vaughn, a familiar face on TV and a popular author with her newest book, Shadow Kid. Look for more at jvwrites.com. Appreciation to all of you for listening, and a special thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media for his help in sending these episodes right up to the cloud so ably. Till next time, this is Jordan Rich saying, as always, be well so you can do good.